Hello everyone, welcome to Struggle Session. I am your host, Leslie Lee III. As always, I am joined by my co-host, the host of Jack AM, Jack Allison. Make sure to like us on iTunes, subscribe to us at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus. Send us a voicemail at sesh.show. And as a reminder, hey, I got a new call-in show. If you want to talk to me directly one-on-one, just find Leslie Lee III on the call-in app. Sorry, it's on iOS only for now, but there's a link in the show notes where you can listen to all the episodes I've done so far on the web. So follow me on there. You'll know when I go live, usually on Monday and Wednesday nights at 8. Culture on the call-in app. Today, we're talking about adaptations. Lots of adaptation talk uh, lately. Probably started big time with Dune, Jack. Okay. And thinking about that as an adaptation. And it kind of baffled me uh, as an adaptation why people liked it so much. Because I was read and at the same time I was reading the Dune book, mm-hmm. and the Dune book is so much more sophisticated, interesting, intelligent, emotionally has so much so much more politics and nuance. The characters are deeper, and the movie dumbs it down by about a hundred times. Even though Dune originally is a book for like thirteen year olds, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so. Like, what is the value of visual media when <laughs> we're going crazy for a super, like, you know, simplified, unsophisticated version of a book for 13-year-olds from 50 years ago as the big sensation? So I've been kind of thinking about that and why there are so many adaptations. Even when I was doing the research for this episode, mm-hmm. any good movie is an adaptation. You know, it's like every fucking thing is an adaptation. And to answer your question as to like why everything is an adaptation, it's because like the algorithm they use to determine whether or not a movie should be made like really heavily weights being an existing property because they're like there's a base of people that will have known about it and come to it. So that's a big reason why there's so many adaptations lately is it's like next to impossible to make something that's not an adaptation because of like the way that films and TV and everything are greenlit these days. And speaking of, before we dive into the discussion, well, I guess this is part of it. Number one movie in the country right now is, of course, and I guess an adaptation of sorts, Spider-Man No Way Home. What would you even qualify that as an adaptation of at this point? Are we talking about, like, is this, like, part of the long and mutated adaptation of, you know, the, like, original Marvel comics in the 60s? You know what I mean? Like, what, is this an adaptation of, you know, some fucking mid-range, like, Marvel comics? It's like... It's hard to even classify what, you know, this is. The the Marvels have become their own sort of just bizarre beast at this point. And that's the thing that kind of strikes me about Marvel, even though they're super popular. I've I've went especially with this one where it's just mixing the different versions of the adaptations from different movies from different movie studio eras. That's basically like what you're actually seeing, like not different creative teams, not different eras of the character, but actually like different owners of the IP at this particular time. Different groups of people who bought it at one point or another just purchased the character. 
And none of that seems to me satisfying as a comic book fan, as someone who would just be reading Spider-Man comics. Why would you want to go to a movie theater and see that? So that brings us back to our main uh, point, which is, you know, what is a good adaptation? What's a bad adaptation? And also kind of a third category I want to talk about. What's an interesting adaptation? Because, it, you know, uh, a good ad a good adaptation isn't necessarily a good movie, a mm. bad adaptation. Uh, excuse me, a good ad adaptation isn't necessarily a good movie. A bad adaptation isn't necessarily a bad movie or video game or comic book or whatever. And the interesting ones are the ones that I feel like kind of get the adaptation wrong or deliberately change things about the source material, mm -hmm. but still do something interesting or innovative with them. Um, and there's a lot of, and that, those are some of my favorite adaptations, ones that actually are willing to change things and uh, not so much adapt, but, you know, really just, you know, take it as inspiration and create something new in a new uh, format. And the stuff that works the best really does take into consideration, like, how do you make this a movie or how do you make this a video game? Like, irrespective of what happens, you know, in the original work, like, how does this work in the new format? Judging the MCU as a whole, as a whole, I think I'm I'm safe in saying that they are just simply bad adaptations. I, not know, interesting, yeah. not, you know, well, not a, not bad movies that get the gist of Marvel Comics, right? But just like bad, they don't really understand the characters. They don't understand the source material. Even the comic books specifically that they pull from, like the Ultimates, they just don't understand like the irony and the comedy of the Ultimates. They just copy like the paramilitary uh, style and costumes and post 9-11 worldview without the satirization of that. Like I saw that new Doctor Strange trailer and I was like, Doctor Strange used to like used to fight vampires and like do cool shit and stuff, right? He's like throwing a bus at somebody in the new one. I in the new trailer. <laughs> like all of these adaptations are just bad to me. Even if the film some of the films might be better than others. I think most of them are pretty bad, but regardless of them being bad films, they they don't get Marvel Comics right. Listen, I also think that, you know, uh <laughs> I don't think that they, well, whatever. I, you know, obviously Marvel movies are going to be in our lives for the next 90 years. You know, they're never, ever going to stop making these movies. And people are going to go to super spreader events uh, for the next 90 years of COVID. Uh, and multiple Marvel movies will spread new variants of COVID. So they're going nowhere. Um but I almost think that the Marvel movies don't work as adaptations because they basically don't function as movies. You know, these oh, yes. are True. like sort of episodic television, you know, and if we're talking about making things work more for the medium, <laughs> I'm like, I guess it works for the medium of people who like like this kind of Joss style kind of like snark, you know, action or whatever, um, because clearly they all go to see it and they, wait, wait, they love Jack, it. Jack, as someone who liked the original Joss style <laughs> snark action, it actually does not work for me. Well, as That's someone who doesn't, then I, I, I maybe can't comment on it, but you know, I'm, I'm saying that, that, you know, I, I ultimately don't think these function as movies because yeah, true. Can, if I, I haven't seen the last couple of Marvel movies, I don't remember Dr. Strange. I watched the trailer for Marvel for Spider-Man No Way Home, and it seems like inscrutable to me. <laughs> like, it's so <laughs> bizarre. Also, I'm like, you know, I swear to God, 
a lot of people who like get really hyped up about Marvel, you know, uh, like characters coming and stuff like that. They just are acting. They're like pretending. I swear to God, they're all pretending because nobody ever gave a shit about Doctor Strange. Like if you if 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 when the original um Spider-Man movies were coming out, the actual Sam Raimi ones, if they were like, and the third, the end of the trilogy, he's teaming up with Doctor Strange, it would have been the most bizarre choice in the <laughs> world. But it works because, you know, th this is a television show. So I don't know. I think that most of these Marvels don't function as standalone movies. And so I think they're bad ad adaptations kind of on that score uh, as well. So sticking in the comic book world, what do you think are some uh, are some good adaptations? I was thinking lately about Sin City, actually, and how mm. much I did enjoy Sin City as a adaptation. And it's a weird one because it almost flies in the face of what I'm saying about, like, you know, not doing things so directly. But I swear, I'm like, I like Robert Rodriguez is is experimenting with digital filmmaking, and he is doing something new with a film in this, even yeah. in... Yes. trying to make it so directly you know an adaptation uh, of the work it's like in the actual work frank miller does it like that because that's kind of how he draws like he makes it very noir and black and white and does a lot with negative space and everything like that you know sin city is almost like in the in the very small stable of films that came out right after you know the star wars prequels where they were trying to figure out a new way to make film and i think that Sin City on the whole works really, really well and is a, you know, a great adaptation of what makes the work great that also like does new things uh, with with the film, with like the medium of film, really. And, and you know, in that sense, you know, is also is very concerned with being a, a, a good film in its own right. I really liked Sin City. I like the sequel, too. I know a lot of people don't like the sequel, but I really, really enjoyed it. I think it just took too long to uh, come out the moment had passed, but I ended up enjoying it a lot. On kind of the Frank Miller tip, let's talk about Zach. Our boy Zach, because he's done a lot of adaptations. Sure. Some, and like looking at it, so 300, Watchmen. Yeah. yeah. And maybe I, I, I would say maybe Justice League maybe counts. I, I, I want to consider here. I think all of those, even though they're not all good movies, are all good earnest I mean, Dawn of the Dead is also an adaptation. Like, I think remakes in their own way are adaptation as well. But, you know, we're only talking medium to medium. Yeah, but I feel like Zach really did a good job adapting them. He just did it. He got like 70% of it, mm -hmm. like, which is... In hindsight, a lot. It, when I first watched Watchmen in the movie theaters, I was like, this is kind of dull. This is just painful panel. It left me sort of cold. Now I'll go back and watch it, and I just have a new appreciation for it now that I've seen a bad, truly bad adaptation like the Watchmen TV series, which does not understand the source material at all. But to me, Leslie... That's the Space Jam effect. That's what I'm going to call that, is the Space Jam effect. That's when an original thing was not that good, but then gets reappraised as good because the sequel or new version was so bad. Like, we now, after Space Jam 2 came out, we're like, Space Jam 1 might as well be Roger Rabbit. How much better it is than Space Jam 2. I don't 2. know. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's, there's certain aspects where that does work, but I think if you actually go back and 
watch that movie. There's a lot of there's a lot, Listen, pretty, I, I think there's a lot of great and- imagery. I think there's a lot of great imagery in it, and I and I always like a Zach shot, and I think he's really doing his best. But I I mean, obviously the the comic is the best one, and this suffers, I think, a little bit from trying to be too direct an adaptation. I like actually Justice League, and even I would say Batman versus Superman has a lot of Dark Knight, you know, uh, returns in it and everything like that. I think Zach got better at adaptations you know, as he got further in his career and took more in, you know, individual license, you know, to make these unique and sort of original films as opposed to just trying to like hit the beats so directly. I mean, 300 is like, it's almost like at Sin City level where he's trying to just, you know, do directly exactly what happened in the story. And when you get to Justice League, where it's not a direct adaptation, but I feel like it's the closest movie that I've seen, a uh, live action movie, that actually feels like a big comic book. Like, yeah. you know, it has the length, it has the scale, it's the type of story you would read in a comic book. It works how a comic book works, it looks how a comic book looks. I That you very rarely, you know, see that... And any, none of the Marvel films really feel like any of the comic books, but I think Justice League really captures the spirit, the scale, the scope. And like you really believe in this sort of heightened superhero world and you don't spend your whole time asking questions like, why can that this person fly? Because you don't ask those questions when you pick up a comic book. It's right. like you you like say, oh, he's the king of Atlantis, you know, that, like that's yeah. just it. You know, I feel like with Justice League, he really just kind of sort of nailed it's what a comic book should feel like uh, on the screen. Another one I think did it, and a lot of people don't like uh, this one, but I, I I love it more every time I see it. Ang Lee's Hulk. Uh, <laughs> sure. I really think that I put that under the good, less than the interesting. Even though, like, it's, it's kind of a crossover because it's it a little is a of crossover. both. It's a little of both. He's doing, he does change the story up, but he, what he is trying to do is bring the feeling of mm-hmm. reading a comic book to the screen, which is and in like and it. of itself interesting, but it is more, it is like, it's shocking that every comic book movie doesn't look like that, right? Like you would expect, right. like, like that's the, def- you expect that, you know, filmmakers would default to this sort of visual style at which if you haven't seen this movie, you really got to look it up. It it really captures the, the feel of the panels, the way the, mm-hmm. the your eye shifts and moves. Ang Lee, I think he does a fantastic job with it. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I really, really uh, love it. Of his Hulk. You know, I, I on the topic of just literally bringing comics to the screen, uh, this is something I rewatched recently. I just, I don't know, got the itch to watch them again. But the old Fleischer Brothers Superman cartoons, which are the oh, okay. 1940s Superman cartoons, are number one, incredible. They're all like 10 minutes long and they're classic Superman, just where like it's Superman fights robots that are like trying to rob a bank, shit like that. You know what I mean? Like the classic status quo, Lois doesn't know uh, Clark is Superman. He kind of winks at the camera, you know, when she says like, well, I got help from Superman. But also just in the general sense, like just thinking about these Fleischer Brothers cartoons, you know, and seeing Superman in action and that being so, you know, sort of beautifully rendered from what people had only seen in like black and white newspaper strips up to that point. Like, I feel like watching the old Fleischer Brothers Supermans when, you know, animation was sort of in its like infancy 
would have been like akin to how people felt when they watched like Avatar for the first time and saw that 3D. Like, you know, uh, I kind of oh, yeah, think that, yeah, yeah. you know, we wouldn't even have any, you know, certainly we would special effects wouldn't look the way it does if not for what was the tone set by these early 1940s Fleischer Brothers Superman cartoons. Certainly if when you look at like Batman, the animated series, they're just trying to ape you know, in 90s television fashion, really the look from these old Superman uh, Fleischer Brothers cartoons. Um, and yeah, like early cartoons, I think, work better because they only had to be 10 minutes and they weren't reusing animation frames all the time. Like it just looks fucking awesome. And I, yeah, I do feel like this is probably like the best and most pure version of Superman that, that exists pretty much. You think, what do you think are some of the best superhero video games? Personally, for me, I think the best adaptation and this is tying into the animated series, which is a fantastic adaptation and ended up changing how people view Batman, defining how people yes. view Batman in a lot of ways. And that and like is, is Harley Quinn not the most popular Batman villain these <laughs> days? I mean, just yes. think about that. That's so wild. Like, yeah. So Harley I, Quinn like probably beats the Joker these days in, <laughs> in Q score. It's probably like Batman, Joker. Superman, Harley Quinn. <laughs> as far as DC characters that people even know, you yeah. know, that's like the order. <laughs> but yeah, the Arkham games, I think, really, because it there was mm -hmm. there were some good Batman games early on. Mm -hmm. As far there were good video games, I should say, but they didn't really capture what was supposed to be actually being Batman, which no one had really captured because you only see it in, you know, still panels. You see it in some movies, uh, in the movies, but, you know, directors can cut, you know what I'm saying? They can show you, they can show, they can never have to make Batman look like stupid running, like walking <laughs> from place to place or taking elevators yes. or anything like that. <laughs> but the Arkham City, the, the craze behind Arkham City, just, I, I really don't think, people appreciated the magic of letting you explore Gotham, live yeah. as Batman. That's just a really fun thing that I don't think anybody really did. And you can see how they influenced the movies because you look at the fight scene and Batman vs Superman and, of and they just rip off a bunch of stuff from the Arkham City video games and it's the best Batman fight scene because the video game people figured it out. Christopher Nolan didn't have shit on these people. You know what I'm saying? Like, they are the ones who did it. Yeah, I mean, I love the Arkham games, and I agree with you. I really do think the Arkhams uh, are, are, are... It's basically, like, the, the go-to. You know what I mean? Like, I'm almost, like... It's hard to even think of any other good superhero games, pretty much. Yeah, really. You know, I I feel like I have an affinity. I feel like I have an affinity for the old Spider-Man games. Oh yes. Um, I haven't played them in a very long time, but there was something very there's something very appealing about swinging around New York as Spider-Man, and yeah, it was the the Insomniac ones are the ones I really remember liking. But again, I haven't played them in many years. I played the the Miles Morales one, and it's just like a little. It's a little too like on rails. You ever feel like that with AAA games? Is I'm like I feel like I'm just like watching a cartoon and doing like quick time actions and kind of doing fights every once in a while, but mostly just like you know, you know like going through a predetermined. It's like I feel like I'm like an actor in those games. You know, I'm not really like controlling anything. Oh, it was um, actually I think NeverSoft who did the old ones, and Somnac did okay. the new ones. Yeah, Neversoft did the Tony Hawk games and then did a, I think, a Spider-Man on PlayStation or PlayStation 2, and uh, I really enjoyed those ones. The most interesting for me, still, KOTOR and KOTOR 2. 
I yeah, think I mean, those are really yeah. fun games that really take Star Wars to a different place that you don't expect, but it's still like like it captures the spirit of Star Wars. It all fits in with everything you know, but it does try to tell a more you know mature story, more in, a deeper story, and it's just a fun as video game. I've even been uh, playing the original now that it's on Switch a bit, and it's still really fun to play. I agree with you, and I think it does you know exactly what we've been talking about, which is. It is a great video game in its own right. It's an it's a fantastic, you know, role-playing CRPG in its own right and it you know, I think they were really smart and it's almost like a kind of like an out of the box, you know, solution to try to not set it around anything like Star Wars that exists. Yeah. Like to not to like just uh, we want to be completely and it's like you at first you're like wow that is like kind of you know that's risky because you're not going to get Han Solo and Chewbacca and everything in there you know what I mean um, the new Disney Star Wars was so based on like building these a new Han a new Leia for yeah. you to connect with the specific person but the coaster games are just like no the universe is big and grand and you're going to meet tons of different people it's not about this or that character because that's more the CRPG style that so they didn't really they took the you know the star wars you know i don't know bible and kind of created a crpg from it using those sensibilities and those tropes and it really just works and makes you look at star wars in a new and interesting uh, way i absolutely think they just knocked it out, out of the park in a way that i that kind of makes me think less of basically every star wars game that star wars thing that's come out since they created their own extended universe that in a lot of ways like felt even more like Star Wars than the actual extended universe, you know? Uh, I think I'm, there's even probably more people because video games are just so, you know, uh, so much so much more played than books are read. There are probably more people that know the lore of, uh, of, the, of KOTOR than even EU at this point. Oh, I had another game adaptation, and this is a game adaptation from a movie, just like the just like what we just did here. Uh, um, the Blade Runner adventure game um, from 1997 is so solid. And what I thought was so good about that game is it takes the extreme liberty of changing the plot of Blade Runner quite a lot. Um, which makes it more fun as a sort of point and click mystery that you're kind of getting to solve on your own. Um, and, you know, they, they, this is an adaptation and it's very much like an adaptation of the movie Blade Runner. Um, but they have switched it up to make it work better as an adventure game. And it's got a fucking cool look like it adapts, you know, the look of Blade Runner into a very cool, you know, pre-rendered backgrounds, you know, voxel characters, kind of, uh, 90s adventure game. Um, and yeah, I, I think it, it kind of in a, in a cool way switches up the Blade Runner plot, you know, in a way that, you know, lets the world feel kind of different and deeper as you're playing it and even surprises you, you know, if you're one of the people who've seen the movie, which I would imagine is nearly everybody that would even play this game. Yeah, those old adventure games did some really interesting stuff. I remember the the um I have no mouth and I'm a screen, which is a video game based on a short story by Harlan Ellison. Now it's a nice short story, but it's pretty hard to make an entire video adventure video game out of a short story, even yeah. when Harlan Ellison is at the office screaming at you. So <laughs> it that definitely goes in the interesting pile because they had to create a lot of shit from scratch and adapt and create this 
beautiful, dark, twisted、uh, game from you know this kind of、uh, this great story, but not one that you know. I, and who would even think?、Uh, To adapt this story, which I and mean, we did an episode about it, where it's about a mad AI who's taken over the planet and is torturing the last few humans to death. Why would you ever make that into a video game? So that definitely goes into the interesting pile. Yeah. But speaking of、uh, Blade Runner, you know, I gotta talk about the movie.、Sure. I huge fan of Philip K. Dick. I love Do Androids Dream of the Electronic Sheep. Blade Runner, you have to put it in interesting because、uh-huh. it's not really a good adaptation of the novel. It has different. It, it、uh, the novel is amazing, and I love the novel. the fi-、uh, The film is amazing,、uh, and I love the film. Might be my favorite film. Might be my favorite book. But they're very different and have different perspectives, different themes, even maybe even different、uh, messages and moralities. But they both are very good in the novel. The androids are much, much less、uh, sympathetic. Ultimately, they are—they absolutely are without、uh, empathy and feeling. Ultimately, they aren't just、uh, tortured. And there's also all these subplots about,、um, like this fake this、uh, this religion called mercerism, which is really interesting because it's、mm-hmm. like you hook into an empathy box to feel this guy do this struggle, and it's. You know, it's it's, it's very interesting because people have to simulate these empathetic feelings because there's no more animals. Because you know, there's a lot of stuff in the novel that just didn't make it into the movie. Even though I love the movie, the movie is this、um, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about Blade Runner. It's an amazing film noir. Da da da. But it's not really the book, so I have to put it in the interesting category. But I, as far as I know, Philip K. Dick. Uh, dug the film, even though he didn't get to see the finished product. He seemed to like what they were doing with it, and really, Scott, like God bless him. Thank you for making not just adapting the book. Thank you for giving us something else incredibly interesting, and all the visual artists、um, that helped create the visuals of Blade Runner, which are so important and obviously aren't really pulled from the book. You know, this is Ridley Scott. You know. I think doing making Blade Runner in some ways better. I do like the book too, but you know, I think in, he has like, you know, so much of of I don't know of what we know from this and what we and what has made it so sort of like enduring as opposed to what just a a like good science fiction story. You know, he's made it a very enduring thing, and、um, yeah, I I guess I I guess I feel like you know I I almost like the movie better than the than the story you know.、Um, it's not the book. It's it's trying to tell you something different than the book is. It's one of those ones where I love Blade Runner so much. I read the book and I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> this is wildly <laughs> different. <laughs> the book has some weird stuff. It has、uh, a whole police station. Uh, full of androids that they have to deal with, which is some of the weirdest stuff that that they do include in a scanner. Darkly did、uh, the the,、uh, the adaptation of that, which I think is probably the the perfect adaptation that you can make of this book. They really capture the book and the feel of the book and the trippiness. Of the book with that roto that weird rotoscoping、mm-hmm. uh, thing he does it, it does and the the science the technology that they use 
in uh, that is described in the book, the way it's visualized is so perfect. I really like absolutely love uh, A Scanner Darkly as a film. And, and it's one of my favorite books. I think he just knocked out of the park. He doesn't do anything different with it. He doesn't do anything that I would necessarily say is interesting with it aside from properly adapting it uh to the screen as a more of an animation instead of a, a film i feel a lot of people could turn this into like a like a cop movie you know but it's not that at all he like really got it. it's like a dirtbag movie about like hanging out with your friends and doing drugs and betraying them and being betrayed should we talk about you know the one that everyone's talked about uh, in the last uh, couple of years, which is uh, Game of Thrones and Game the adaptation of-, of Game of Thrones. What happens when you run out of source material to adapt? This is such <laughs> an interesting case study in something that I, I can't think of other stuff that this has happened with. You know, where they like were adapting something very directly, and then it just simply ceased, <laughs> and the show and the quality just like nosedived immediately. Um, Game of Thrones is an interesting one because you know you almost have the class it in the good category until they ran out of book to adapt and when at which time it became both not an adaptation and extremely bad um <laughs> it's a very interesting thing and it almost kind of goes to show like you know that there is a talent to adaptation and you know these guys many often wise if they really you know were did have as much sort of control over the show we're very talented uh, at adapting um, and we're talented at like, you know, figuring out a way to get this complex and, you know, extremely long and detailed story into something that people could sort of understand on their television screens. Um, but adapting is a very, very different, you know, skill set than like actual creation. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we saw when it got time for these guys to like start creating new stuff in this world that they were not quite as good at it and they were not as good at sort of understanding the world outside of, you know, adapting from a very, very, very detailed blueprint uh, from the original writer. Well, I think the problem always is like they knew when they started that this might be the case. Yeah. So I have to say from jump is a bad adaptation because <laughs> I, I and don't and, start and, adapting <laughs> if it's not finished yet. Maybe. <laughs> well, he, no. Yeah. He, here's the thing. The Expanse writers, right? Uh-huh. Um, the same people who write the book write the TV show, but they're yeah. wrapping up the show early because they had it at a five season, you know, whatever they had version the of show planned as a po- even though there's three more books after that. They knew that, you know, we're on the fucking sci-fi channel. We're one of the most expensive shows on TV. We might get canceled like, you know, <laughs> these other shows did. And they did, so we, right? But they did yeah, get canceled and yeah, brought they back did. by Jeff Bezos. Yeah, so they understood <laughs> that we need to write some sort of ending for it. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be good. And I think a lot of people may complain about this last season because it feels sort of rushed. There's only six episodes, but... I got to watch it. I got to watch the whole thing and read the books, frankly. I think yeah. I'm going to do it all. I have the first but, book sitting here ready to go. But when I go back and watch those first seasons of Game of Thrones, like even though they're really exciting, they leave so they start so many plot threads that they are just going to have to abandon, cut off, whatever, because they start running out of material, start running out of time telling the story. So it felt like it was always like they were only a couple steps ahead of this disaster from the 
get-go because they didn't know what they were doing. They were just basically yeah. like That's George like the scam. R- they're like they're like scam artists. They're hucksters. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was more like a really good like hustle. They obviously had a lot of talented people working for them and more money than God uh, to put yeah. behind it. But I think basically uh, anyone who's probably who's read the books and seen like a TV show probably could have cr- uh, put this together for whatever, <laughs> for however much they were getting paid. You probably could have crapped out the first few seasons of uh, Game of Thrones and had like the most talented people in the world uh, make it entertaining. Yeah, not everybody had a father who was the president's intelligence advisory board oh, well, guy. So, you know, there there, there is a little bit of a qualification there as far as that's concerned. So a couple of other uh, movies I want to talk about. They're very good adaptations. No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's a good adaptation, but it doesn't really count because a lot of people don't know this. The book, it was never originally a book. It was originally a screenplay. That motherfucker Carmack McCarthy wow. tried to sell it as a screenplay, but then turned into a book. And when you read the book, you can tell like it just does not is is a great book. It's but it's a very breezy read. And Cormac McCarthy is very rarely described as breezy, so <laughs> it is just a screenplay. And a lot of people, a lot of the fans were uh, when I asked this question on Twitter, what are some good adaptations? They were saying No Country for Old Men. I'm like. Sorry to say, I don't know if it really <laughs> counts. It really Ooh. was originally a screenplay, so I I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. But the Coen Brothers obviously did an excellent uh, job on it, but it was more of a, a, a direct lift. I mean, the book <laughs> is the movie. <laughs> They're both great. They're both amazing. I love them uh, to death. It's not knocking anything, but it did start off as a movie, so... Yeah, listen, I think that that's a fair point. And, um, you know, I think that probably helped an adaptation if you're already thinking about it as a movie, you know, like um, Mark Miller comics, for example. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, now American Psycho never envisioned as a movie was almost not a book in fact very internal mostly like complete it's it's an interesting one because it's also an unreliable narrator and completely internal pretty much. Yeah, and Mary Heron just absolutely nails it, uh, uh, knocks it out of the park. I think uh, I love, love a lot. Most people say that the movie is better than the book. I don't agree with that, but the movie is is very good. It's one of my favorite movies. I think it captures so much of the humor in the book that people just seem to not understand and miss. And people even like seem to like like will criticize the book even now, saying that Mary Heron like under uh, added some uh, satirical elements that weren't originally there, which is of course completely ridiculous. But she really, in a very short amount of time captures this story um and brett easton ellis he's kind of been on again off again the movie i think he likes it now he was initially upset because he felt it wasn't ambiguous enough whether patrick bateman was a serial killer or not but he's come around on that a bit but yeah i think it's a absolutely great adaptation great film and it's a movie that it's a it takes to you know a book that most people thought you couldn't film turns it to something fun and funny that gets the point of the novel across that people didn't even uh, understand in the first place that's a perfect adaptation when you're 
making people understand the original work. I've read the book, um, and yeah, uh, it is a, a lot more sort of cerebral, like you're really living in the head of Patrick Bateman a lot more. And, you know, the movie accomplishes that, but in a way that like uses sort of like film language, you know, it's, uh, you know, and some of it is is just his internal monologue, but it's not all his internal monologue. A lot of it is like using visual cues to sort of like, you know, cue us to what's going on in, uh, in Patrick's internal world. So we haven't talked a lot about bad adaptations for a bit. And there's sure. a lot a lot of them. And even, you know, just uh, some of the names we've already mentioned, Brett Easton Ellis, the less than zero adaptation. Mm. Have you, this one, look, is, is, a, is one of those movies that you, uh, again, you appreciate a little bit more now because it's still visually stunning. Uh, they don't make movies like this for teenagers anymore. It's still pretty fun. But it cuts off all the sharp edges of the book. And Brett Easton Ellis's theory is that this happened because the book is literally about the sons and daughters of Hollywood producers. So they wanted to get make, you know, uh, the main character more moralistic. Don't have them do the drugs. Don't have them be bisexual, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And Robert Downey Jr.'s character, who is a gigolo, has to die at the end of the uh, movie. Uh, because there it has to be a moralistic tale so that's a very bad adaptation decent movie but very very uh bad adaptation i think what they did with it even though i don't even like like it that much you know and stephen king is someone who like complains about all his adaptations and everything yes, like he that does. <sighs> i don't need an epic it and I think that there is something that actually worked, you know, sort of thematically and almost like filmically, you know, um, in the original book of cutting back and forth between, you know, modern times and when they were little kids that I think just really doesn't work in this weird two part it you know, movie series. Uh, I didn't like the it adaptation and, um, and yeah, I think it really loses something to, to not be intercutting between the adults, uh, between them as adults and them as kids. Yeah. They ask you to watch the same movie twice. And I, and I really liked the first one. I actually really liked the first one. I was excited for the second one. And then it's like, it's just the same movie but less scary, less interesting. <laughs> and I didn't like the adult actors as much as I I liked the kids. So yeah. it was like, I liked the TV uh, series a version of, I really, I have, I've actually, uh, the TV miniseries, it, I had a lot of fun uh, with that one. I, but it, it, it it's just, you know, it, do, it doesn't feel quite like the same movie twice. It is just one of those, uh, what they used to do for all these Stephen King things, a four night, event as opposed to <laughs> like a right. movie that you see part one of and then you wait two years to see the second part and it's just the same thing again <laughs> yeah i i was disappointed by it and you know it's one i don't want to say dune is a bad adaptation although you know it's an interesting one uh i feel the same way kind of about the new dune and we talked about it on that episode is i don't know if this new dune needed to be two movies you know yeah. i think it's kind of was a weird choice to make it two movies like we talked about on the episode you know uh i think the dune story works so much it it is so clearly you know a three has a three-act structure in a very sort of traditional way and i think it was an it was a weird choice to to make an it out of dune um and instead of making one sort of great epic that stands alone as a movie by itself it has to be these like two movies that aren't 
movies <laughs> on their own that don't have like the full character sort of arc that you want out of movies. Um, yeah, I don't know this 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 new. I guess both of those are Warner too. Both uh, both you know yes. it and Dune. They're trying this thing where they uh, I don't know. Um, they try to make it. Uh, they make a make a two parter out of out of you know the story arc of one book, and uh, it's it's not really working for me. Bad one that I still really love as a movie, mm. Street Fighter. <laughs> now this uh, and and a lot of video game adaptations, obviously, are just by the definition bad adaptations, because none of the people making these movies, especially back in the day, gave a shit about gave a shit video at game. all. Yeah, did don't not care. at all. Did, did not care. No one involved in this had ever played any of them. Their kids had told them to do it or something like that. But my God, this Street Fighter, they really went for it. Like, they made a whole storyline. They had all these fucking factions, a fake country. And Raul Julia gives the performance almost literally of a lifetime as he's dying of cancer as M. Bison. It's just a baffling, it's a bad movie, but so earnest. And so you, you can't help but fall in love with it. It doesn't care about the video games that much. Like if it, you were going to make a Street Fighter movie, it would just be a tournament. It would just be a tournament. Like <laughs> it's not a tournament. It's like some big like paramilitary operation where uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme is like a UN, so UN soldier guile. And I, it does. The plot makes no And M. Bison is this massive terrorist. Now that is in the video games in the background kind of. But I don't know if that was the best choice of. I, clearly, I mean, they just didn't give a shit back in the day. They just, they just were pumping it out. But then when they make this movie, like they, there's just so much earnestness, and they really did give a shit when they were making it. It's so fun. I, I, I really want to do a full episode on it. I really, really do love it. Okay, well then, here's another in the same vein. Actually, an entire series um, is the Resident Evil movie. Oh yes, these are bad adaptations of the Resident <laughs> Evil source work. I haven't Absolutely. seen Re Welcome Ra Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City yet, but you know, I guess that's the you know much more sort of reverent of the old games. But I think that the I, I would classify them as good adaptations because while they're bad, you know, it's a bad adaptation of the source work. You know, this is Paul W S Anderson you know, like making it his own thing, <laughs> you know, creating this sort of weird, you know, high octane matrixy action franchise uh, out of something that was decidedly not that, <laughs> you know, it never has been that uh, in the uh, in the game. These are almost they feel more like an adaptation of like Devil May Cry or something like that than of uh, Resident Evil. Uh, but I think they really work for that reason. And I like their sort of intricate and bizarre continuity and you know, I have to even applaud them as zombie movies for being just very, very different from the glut of zombie shit, you know, we saw around that time. Oh, yes. Speaking of zombies, I kind of want to talk a little bit about The Walking Dead, a Telltale series. The video. Oh, a Telltale series. Okay. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, I think it, it was, it's not only a good it's a good adaptation because i think it's better than any other walking dead thing i think it's better than the comic books i think it's better than tv shows the writing is just oh much better but it's also very interesting uh because it's adapting like mo i mean there's been like five walking dead games since then they're all like action 
games, right? Like mm-hmm. first person shooters and shit like that. And they they really just dived in on this story, which was bad, and just made a better <laughs> one <laughs> in the same world, which I found very very interesting. And it, and I thought the way the adaptation worked, like the the Telltale gameplay style. It's a shame that they never updated the engine because I thought that w- would be like the future of video game adaptations. Because obviously, when it costs as much to make one of these, you can get you know the you know pretty good voice acting now. You can get actors to do their own voice acting if they're you know playing a part in video games now. That sort of thing was taken off. So I was thinking, okay, if there's gonna be a, any kind of big movie tie-in game, it's gonna be like a Telltale style game. I didn't think only Telltale would make these games. I thought it would be something like, because you can crank these out a lot faster than you can like a AAA, like open world title to tie in with a, a movie. But for some reason, it just did not take off. And I thought it would. I thought these games would be like, like every, there would be a Telltale everything, but just didn't turn out that way. I guess people just weren't as interested in the non-active, you know, storytelling gameplay. Um, as they were, you know, a triple A title. I mean, this is also another of the great, you know, adventure game adaptations. You know, I yes, think adventure yeah. games. It, you know, I'm excited about, for example, the uh, the new Star Trek game from the uh, former from the former Telltale people because I do think that, you know, adventure games are sort of ripe to be the best for adapting things. Uh, but no one seems the, to care yeah. is the thing. Well, I guess it's, it's, the thing the is, same, it's, it's almost like, you know, I just saw West Side Story in theaters and I'm like, wow, Steven Spielberg just made a great new movie and it's a great, it is a great West Side Story adaptation, but no one likes movie musicals, so no one's ever going to see it. That's <laughs> the way it is about adventure games yeah, too. Just like no one yeah. really likes them. So that's just the way it's always going to be. Yeah, no one really does like musicals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Movie musicals. That's like what's at the core of it is like I was thinking of that. It's like people talk all the time about like they're like, you know, you know, Broadway's not accessible. It's like the most inaccessible medium. And then they make it accessible. They put them all out in like theaters and it's like, we choose not to access it. The people respond, they're like, We don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's a great one. It's obviously uh, uh, a great one is uh, The Shining, The Shining adaptation into a movie. And while it is perhaps bad as an adaptation, as even Stephen King, you know, is like upset that it doesn't include all of the fucking shit that he had. And like, you know, but as, you know, Kubrick taking like a very weird book, you know, and, and really making it, you know, a hallmark horror movie, like one of the best of all time. And it's a really good example of, you know, taking you know, uh, from a source work and making it work better as the new medium, I think. See, here, here's the deal. I was willing to accept that, but I like The Shining less every time I see it. I haven't read the oh, original wow. book. And I, I know read about the book, all, and it's it's a lot weirder, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I heard all the weird stuff in the book, and I'm like, eh, I don't really need it. I didn't really like the movie that much. I can do without it. But then I watched Doctor Sleep, <laughs> the uh, and I the loved sequel? it. You're I a Doctor Sleep guy. Wow, Doctor Sleep <laughs> so much that wow. I think I may have to rethink this whole shine thing. I may have to go back read the book. Read Doctor Sleep because I know Doctor. Well, you got to check has... out the one scene in Ready Player One as well. That's part of the <laughs> the canon of of The Shining too. 
I'm going to get on the Dr. Sleep director's cut because I just really like liked it a, a whole lot. It's like wow. the, it's the best X-Men movie I've ever seen. That's how I would classify <laughs> it more or wow. less. It, I, I really, really. I mean, Dr. Sleep is a little more like the book stuff. You know, it's a lot more of the like yeah. you know, tele- telepathy and shining. So maybe you're with Stephen King. Maybe you would like to read the book and maybe you're more of like, you know, the movie doesn't have the good stuff about like the X-Men yeah. using telepathy with each other. Yeah, that's exactly. So that's the question I have is like, is the shine is the shine a good movie? Sure. Is it a bad adaptation or an interesting one? Is is he re- does he, did he really improve upon the what Stephen King was working on, or did he just toss it out and make a slasher movie? Yeah, I mean. Uh... It's an interesting one, and, you know, these categories are tough to do, but, you know, I think it worked. Making it into a slasher movie is what makes it work, you know? If you tried to... I feel Mm. like trying to get... It's it's the simplicity of it and sort of the, you know, making good what is what is so simple you know what i mean like making doing perfectly you know what is what is the genre you know that i think makes it so memorable and so good well i think with this one uh we might have to do a part two because we're maybe halfway through uh, our list we haven't even gotten to some of the ones you sent us yet so we're gonna be we're gonna pick this up this discussion up again but thank y'all so much for listening to struggle session and subscribing uh to the premium episodes we really appreciate it have a good holiday See ya. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.